The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Todd Arend is here. He's been here this weekend speaking to Sunday school teachers and small group leaders on world religions and on the exclusivity of Jesus. And and today he's going to share with us, Todd um, has a master's from Dallas Seminary. He's got a doctorate from Gordon-Comwell. He's spoken, or his organization has spoken to over 360,000 college students about God's heart for the world. He's been uh, all over the U.S. and among some of the least reached people groups on the planet researching missions. And we've got the gift of hearing from Todd. More important than all that, though, he is the husband of Jessica, and he has six kids that are really, really amazing, and he's going to bring the word to us today. So would you please welcome Todd Aaron. Thank you. January 17th, 1994, the largest earthquake to hit California in over 100 years took place. The epicenter was in Los Angeles, California, and uh, everyone lost power. People wandered out to the streets, and they looked up, and they saw something they'd never seen before. A giant silvery cloud was over the city. 911 had had several calls, not for responders for the earthquake, but what is going on in the sky? And uh, with no power that morning, for the first time, people in Los Angeles saw the Milky Way. It had been there the entire time, but of course the, wor- the world was drowning it out. And when you think about this morning, when you think about the mission of God, when we think about our mission, the world is trying to drown out what God is saying from Genesis to Revelation. The world is trying to drown out your meaning of why you're alive, how we are alive to see the mission of God touch every tribe, tongue, language, and people. We get busy, we get distracted, we justify our inactivity. The world says, don't worry about it, focus on yourself. But yet, it's been there the whole time. You just have to have eyes to see. The mission of God literally begins in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 says this, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. God says, I want the earth to be filled with my glory. I want every corner touched with the glory of God. And of course, we know in Genesis chapter 3 that humanity sins. Genesis chapter 6 says every thought of man is evil. God floods the earth in chapter 7 and 8. And in chapter 9, he repeats the same command he gave in Genesis 1. Fill the earth. Fill the earth. Fill the earth. And so, as I'm reading the Bible, I come across Genesis chapter 11, and I ask the question, does God get it? Does God get his glory to cover all peoples? Genesis chapter 11. Now, the whole earth had one language and a common speech. Imagine that. No matter where you went on planet earth, people spoke one language, English. And as men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, they settled there. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a a tower and a city that reaches to the heavens, So that we may make a name for ourselves. So that we may make a name for ourselves. How many Christians, that last underlined part, represents what they're living for? So that I can make a name for myself. 
God says, I want my glory to touch all people's nations. But guess what? Humanity says, no thanks. I want to pad my resume and I want to, I want, I want to increase my savings. So what happens? Keep reading. The Lord comes down in, in verse 7. He comes down to confuse their language so they don't understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. Genesis chapter 11, if you're reading this for the first time, you have this uh-oh moment. You have this, what is God going to do? He took one language and scattered them into 70. Today on planet Earth, there's 6,912 languages. How is he going to regather all of them under his glory? You have this uh-oh moment of what is he going to do? And then you turn the page and you come to Genesis chapter 12. And Genesis chapter 12 is God's response to the Tower of Babel scattering. He looks down and he picks one man, Abram. And here's what he says. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household and go to the land I will show you. Leave everything you love, you're accustomed to. Leave everything you've collected, leave your stuff and, and, and go to where I'm telling you. I'm not going to ruin your life with the mission of God. I'm going to bless your life. He says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, Abram. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curse you, I will curse. But Abraham, here it is. Are you ready? The reason I am picking you up and inviting you into my mission and blessing you with everything you're going to have is not for you. It's so that all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I'm going to use you to regather everyone I scattered at the Tower of Babel. Get used to hearing God say he's going to bless all nations because he's only going to repeat that about 1,600 more times in Scripture. 1,600 more times. I was a Christ follower for a decade before I realized the importance of Genesis 12. I had no idea for the first 10 years of my spirituality how important Genesis 12 was. I had no idea the mission of God began here. The domino tips with Abraham. And it goes from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Joshua to David to the prophets to Jesus, the early church to us. But our mission begins in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. The leading scholar of all of Christians in all of Europe who died a few years ago, his name was John Stott. Someone asked Stott, Stott, what's the most important passage in the Bible? He said, that's easy. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The whole of God's purpose is encapsulated here. The mission of God begins in Genesis 12. And look at what Abram does. Verse 4, Abram left as the Lord told him. Genesis 26, with Abraham's son Isaac, the mission of God continues. He says to Isaac, I will make your descendants just like your father's, as numerous as stars in the sky, and give them all these lands. But Isaac, Isaac, all nations on earth, that's what we're going for. We're going to regather those in Genesis 11. I'm interested in seeing every tribe, tongue, people, and nation come to me. Genesis 28, Jacob, just like your father Isaac and your father's father Abraham, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and they will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. But guess what, Jacob? All nations, all peoples, that's where we're going. Starting with Abraham, the mission of God, don't miss it. 
The world's trying to drown it out. We're not even out of Genesis yet. I had a friend of mine, he graduated from K-State University. His name was Andrew. And I was like, Andrew, man, tell me a story about college. He's like, well, you know, we, did, we didn't have much in Manhattan, Kansas, but we had our football. He says, some of my favorite memories from college was going to away football games. He said, one day, five of my friends texted me and said, be out front in 10. I threw a bag together, went downstairs in the dorms, popped out. They had their SUV ready. We drove 10 hours from Manhattan, Kansas to Dallas, Texas to watch our team play in an away football game. He said, when we got to Dallas, Texas, we unloaded our bags at the stadium, and unbeknownst to me, there were eight cans of purple wall paint in the SUV. And my friend said, men, suit up. And I realized, wait a minute, you want us to paint our bodies purple? We could die of skin poisoning. But at that moment, we all knew it was worth it. He said, Todd, from head to toe, we painted ourselves purple. From head to toe, we painted ourselves purple. He says, do you know what word the six of us painted on our chest? Hey, mom. Hi, ESPN. He's like, no. The six of us painted one word on our chest. Family. Family. And I'm like, family? Family? Why family? He said, because as a freshman at K-State University, they say, you're not a student, you're a part of a family. The football stadium at K-State University is called Family Stadium. He said, Todd, third quarter with a minute left, something happened. I said, what? He said, we were down by 41. (laughs) He said, I'm banging on the bleachers, I'm yelling at the refs, and then I have this epiphany. He says, I realize I'm in desperate need of exercise and our team's in desperate need of rest, but I can't get in the game because I'm painted in purple with an F on my chest wearing a kilt. (laughs) I said, Andrew, I think you've just succinctly summarized American Christianity. I think you've just succinctly summarized American Christianity. We're in the family, but we're not in the game. Oh, I'm a Christ follower. I went to youth group. I don't celebrate Halloween. But when it comes to engaging God's mission, when it comes to engaging God's mission to reach all nations, guess what? Sorry, Lord, not my problem. I'm busy raising kids. I got debt. I got a car. I got a job. I got a mortgage. I I, I think there's people who like missions at our church and I'm for them. It's just not for me. And so I'm going to marginalize it, self-justify my inactivity and just live in my own little me cave. When God invites us, God invites us, look up, see it. It's the mission of God. It's what we exist for. But the world is trying to drown it out. It continues. Look at this passage in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Why did God give Israel the Ten Commandments? He gave Israel the Ten Commandments because the nations were watching. Those scattered nations in Genesis 11 were watching. He says this, see, I've taught you these decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. The nations are going to see you, Israel, obey me. That's what I'm going for. That's why I've created you since Abraham in Genesis 12. It's about regathering all the nations. Why did God raise up Pharaoh in, in the book of Exodus? I used to think just to get his people out of Egypt. There was a bigger purpose, though. Exodus chapter 9, I have raised you up for this very purpose, Pharaoh, that my power, that my name might be known and proclaimed in all the earth. For the rest of the Old Testament, God is known as the one who parted the Red Sea. When the other nations talk about the God of Israel, they say, wait a minute, we've heard of your God. He parted the Red Sea. 
What about Solomon? Why did God give King Solomon wisdom? Again, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon. The whole world, the Queen of Sheba travels 1,200 miles from Yemen to Jerusalem to hear from Solomon. And over and over again in the book Solomon wrote called Proverbs, he says, fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They come up out of the fiery furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar, who witnesses this event, writes a letter. Look at who he addresses it to. Peoples, nations, men of every language who live in all the world. This pagan Babylonian king witnesses on behalf of the God of Israel. He didn't even know the God of Israel's name. Genesis 12, God is regathering the nations, but the world is trying to drown it out. I came across this, um, I came across this picture frame, and uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was amazing. It was the greatest picture I told my wife, I said, Jess. And she's like, I said, I know. I know. I know. And she's like, it's for sale. Buy it. I know. I know. I know. And uh, I mean, it was unbelievable. It, uh, it, had a, uh, it had a stream. It had a deer, a tackle box, a fisherman, sun rising, and in 98 gold calligraphy, my favorite Old Testament verse, be still and know that I am God, dot, dot, dot. I was like, (laughs) now, what was interesting was at the end of the verse, be still and know that I am God, there was a dot, dot, dot. Now, I'm a professionally trained third grade teacher. I know what a dot, dot, dot means. A dot, dot, dot means, hey, The second half's not for you. We don't want to waste your time. Don't worry about it. The first half is what you want to focus on. So I'm like, man, how bad is Psalm 4610 that you never get the second half? I mean, what's it say? Be still and know that I am God. And Judas found a rope and hung himself. I mean, how bad is, how bad is the second half that you're like, I have no, wow. I've seen the verse crocheted on tea towels and embroidered on bowling balls, but I've never seen the second half. So I meandered my Bible, opened up to Psalm 4610 to figure out how bad is the second half. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. That's the whole verse. But the world wants to drown out God's heart for the nations and keep you focused on yourself. He wants you to know this is the meaning, the mission. This affects how you live, how you give, and how you raise your kids. If you miss the mission of God, you miss the meaning in your life. It just keeps going. Once you look up and see it, you can't unsee it. Isaiah 49, 6 is too small a thing for you to be my servant and restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I'll make you a light for the nations that you might bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Jeremiah 16, 19, O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in time of distress, to you the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers possess nothing but false gods, worthless idols that did them no good. Zephaniah 2, 11, the Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys the gods of the land. The nations on every shore will worship him, everyone in their own land. Malachi 1, 11, are you 
you kidding me? We're still in the Old Testament. My name will be great among the nations from the rising and the setting of the sun. Why? In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. Why? Genesis 12. That's what I'm about. I got asked to speak at the largest Christian university in Canada. I was so excited. 5,000 students. Did I tell you it's the largest Christian university? Did I mention 5,000 students? I was supposed to speak Tuesday morning for chapel, Wednesday morning for chapel, Thursday morning for chapel, and Beth Moore was finishing Friday morning at chapel. I was like, this is going to be beautiful. I show up a day early, even though it's in the same time zone, to acclimate, and um, I, I, I re-iron my shirt. I'm so nervous. What do you eat for breakfast? Not too much, not too little. I, went, I met with the campus minister. I'm walking around the campus. We're sitting at breakfast, and the campus minister's like, what do you think? I'm like, this place is incredible. He's like, I know. We're the largest Christian. I'm like, I heard that. I said, about how many students? Well, about five. Like, 5,000. Wow. And um, I said, where does the, where does the, uh, where does the uh, meeting meet? And he's like, well, the only place on campus we can all fit is the basketball arena. I was like, well, numbers don't matter, but today they do. I said, um, about how many will I be speaking to? He said, oh, did I not, uh, did I not uh, tell you in the email? Missions week is the only week we make chapel optional. So we're praying for 200. So I got there, I uh, got up, I spoke to 185 Canadian students, all Christ followers, and I challenged them to give five years of their life after they graduate to the Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Chinese, and tribal world. And after I was done speaking Tuesday morning, I come off stage and there's a line eight deep of Canadian university students ready to talk to me. The first one said, thank you for the message, I can't go, I have debt. The second one, man, thank you for the message. I can't go. My parents would freak. The third one, thank you for the message. I can't go. I'm engaged to be married. Thank you for the message. I can't go. I'm getting a master's. Thank you for the message. I can't go. I just signed a two-year iPhone contract. One after another. One after another. Wednesday, I spoke to about 115 students. Thursday, I spoke to about 85 students. I left Friday. I left Friday. I didn't go uh, back to Arkansas where I'm from. Instead, I flew to Salt Lake City, Utah. I was scheduled to speak at a church in Salt Lake City, Utah. I fly into the airport, grab my rental, hit where I'm supposed to go, and it says, Google Maps says, turn right on Temple Street. And I was like, to where does Temple Street lead? And I realized first in Temple is the largest Mormon temple in the world. And I was like, I want to go. I want to go get a selfie in front of the largest Mormon temple in the world. How beautiful could that be? So I go to First and Temple, park my car, take a selfie. I look to the left. I look to the left of the Mormon temple, and I see this huge building, three stories tall, all made in glass. And uh, uh, etched in the glass, it says, Mormon Welcome Center. I want to go. I want to go be welcomed by Mormons in Utah. I mean, how sweet could that be? Maybe an angel gets its wings. I was like, that would be beautiful. I go over to the Mormon Welcome Center. I open the door and I say, good morning. 
top of the Mormon to you. <laughs> 20 of the most, seem like well-educated, best-dressed people who were university students came walking towards me. One of them, Rachel, peeled off, and I'm like, Rachel, I saw her name, I'm like, how'd you wind up here? And why is everybody's first name sister? And um, so she said, oh, you know, every Mormon has to give two years after they graduate to go on a mission somewhere that the church stations you. And when I got the letter of where I was to be stationed, it was the greatest day of my life. And I said, you get a letter? She says, yeah, yeah, yeah. The church sends a letter to your family. When my father got it, we invited all the relatives over and he read it out loud with tears of excitement in his eyes. I said, what does the letter say? She said, oh, it, it, it's in my purse here. It's the most important thing I own. I held the letter. I read the letter. I leave the... Mormon Welcome Center, I drive 45 minutes south to Provo, Utah. I'm scheduled to speak at Brigham Young University to some Christ followers. Brigham Young University is the largest Mormon university on the planet. And I'm about, I'm about a mile off of campus in Provo, Utah. I'm about a mile off of campus in Provo, Utah. I look over and I see this store. I see this shopping mall. And the sign on the shopping mall caught my attention. The sign said, The Missionary Mall. I want to go. I want to go to the Missionary Mall. I mean, what sort of beautiful things could you buy there? I put on my blinker, pull in, park, get out, walk in, and I realize the Missionary Mall is the spot where Mormons take their children before they fly overseas on their mission. Everything Mormon missionaries need, they buy at the Missionary Mall. Everything for their mission trip, tie, suit coat, bike helmet. It all comes from the Missionary Mall. And as I'm standing there at the Missionary Mall, as I'm standing there, all I'm doing is looking at the faces of the fathers and the mothers. Pure joy, pure excitement. No price too high for whatever you need, son. I got back into my car, I opened my journal, and I wrote... Mormons give two years, Christians give excuses. Mormons give two years, Christians give excuses. If by chance your son or your daughter or your grandson or your granddaughter decides they want to be a cross-cultural missionary, here's the recent statistic we have. 99.9% .9 of Christian parents spend the next few days, months, and years trying to talk them out of going. The most recent statistic is 99.9% of all Christian parents try to talk their son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter out of joining God's mission. Uh, are you sure? Really? Now? Do you think this is the best time? What about your debt? What about, what about your degree? You were so excited. Where are you going to work? Have you told your dad? How are you going to pay for it? Are you called? You sure you're called? Look at the needs here. Are you even, do you even know what you're going to do over there? It's not even probably safe. You know you're probably never going to marry. 
are you sure you want to do this? I don't think this is a good idea. Can we just push pause right now? Does your brother know? Who's talking you into this? What's his name? Is this organization even Christian? Are you sure you're being led by God? This is, not, this is something out of the blue. I think we should just sit on this for a long time. Are you sure? I'm just nervous. Should we go to counseling? I'll go with you. I don't know why you're doing this. Do, do you know this is going to upset your family? You know, I have health needs. We have health needs. We need you here. Why are you going there? I don't think this is a good idea. Did I already tell you this is not a good idea? I just have doubts. I have a lot of doubts. Do you have doubts? You do? You do? You have doubts? Okay. You know what? I think you should. Yeah. Let's know. It's what happens. Why? Because we are so consumed with our stuff. I love God, but there are three things that I love more than God, which I'm doing pretty good. Okay. I love God, but there's three things I love more than God. I love my savings. I love my safety and I love my kids. And so when his mission interferes with my savings, my safety, and my kids, I'm sorry, Lord, please have me excused. I'm sure there's somebody at TBC who's retired early or never married who can go. <laughs> but just not me. I'm different. I have a personality, people skills, influence, And what do we do? We justify our inactivity. When all along, God is inviting us to join his mission. But we drown it out. When you transition to the New Testament, Jesus continues with what he promised in Genesis 12 with Abraham. Matthew 28, one of the first Great Commission texts. I thought there was only one Great Commission text and I thought this was it. There's not one Great Commission text, there's five. But listen to what Jesus says in the first Great Commission text. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. Remember Abraham of all nations. What began with Abraham, church, comes to you. This is not the only Great Commission text, there's five. The second Great Commission text is in Mark 16, 15. He said to them, go into the whole world and preach the good news to all creation, Genesis 12. This is not the only Great Commission text. There's five. The next Great Commission text is Luke 24, 46 through 47. He said, this is written. This should not be new news. Genesis 12. Christ, he says, that's who I am, will suffer and rise from the dead. He says, that's what I did. He said, repentance, that's how you should respond. And forgiveness of sins, that's the benefit of responding appropriately, should be preached, and here's the scope, Genesis 12. To all nations. To all, this is not the uh, only Great Commission text, there's five. The fourth Great Commission text is John 20, 21. Peace be with you, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, everything you saw over the last three years was not my idea. I was in Trinity, eternity, community when the Father invited me to put on humanity. 
And as I said yes to the Father and engaged a culture not my own, now I am sending you. And of course, we're like, I love John 2021A, 20, but not John 2021B. 20, if there is just a way to get rid of John 2021B, 20, I think that would be brilliant. As the Father sent me, dot, dot, dot. Not my problem. Sorry, Lord. Real busy now. Got a lot of stuff. Raising my kids. It's all about me. This is not the only Great Commission text. There's five. The fifth Great Commission text is Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Why five? Why five? I just am like, Lord, one's enough. And he's like, are you kidding me? Five's not enough. You are so self-absorbed, justifying your inactivity. Everything revolves around you. If you look up, you can see it. If you look up, you can see it. I think these passages are what drove Paul the Apostle to write Romans 15. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Paul says, where is no one going and all volunteer? Where is no one going and all volunteer? I have a friend, his name's Brooks Buser. And Brooks spent 11 years in the Yambi Yambi people group. And about five years in the Yambi Yambi people group in Papua New Guinea, about five years into it, they kept getting letters. They kept getting letters from a neighboring tribe a few hundred miles away asking, we want a missionary too. We've seen how the Yambi Yambi has been influenced and we want to be, we want a missionary too. And Brooks Buser and the Yambi Yambi, he kept getting these, this letter from this people group a few hundred miles away and five years into his translation with the Yambi Yambi, he's like, we got to at least go survey this people group. So he takes a Yambi Yambi Christ-following elder, because the elder had white hair, was respect, and they end up going to this people group that were asking for missionaries. And when Brooks Buser and the elder of the Yambi Yambi approach the village, all they hear is drum beats, boom, 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 boom. And the elder says to Brooks, do you know what that sound is? And Brooks says, no. He says, they think you're the missionary. They're celebrating your arrival. He's like, I'm not the missionary. I'm just here to survey. There's no missionary even in the pipeline. No one's even like ready to come to this people group. The elder of this village invites Brooks and the Yambi Yambi elder into his hut he sets, he sets Brooks between his two wives. Brooks says they both had white hair with no teeth. He sets Brooks between the two wives. And this elder gets up and says, through a translator to the other elder of the Yambi Yambi, how long until we get our missionary? We know you're not the one. You've told us that. But how long until we get our missionary? And Brooks stands up and he says, he says, so, so long. 
so long. And the elder looks at, at Brooks and looks at the Yambi Yambi elder and says, how many moons? And Brooks says, so many moons, so many moons. And the elder looks at Brooke again. How many moons? Give me a number. And at that moment, the Yambi Yambi elder taps Brooks on the, on the leg and says, I'll, I'll answer this. And the Yambi Yambi elder got up and said, look around. When everyone in your village with white hair dies, then your missionary will come. For that's what happened with us too. But we are so busy, aren't we? We are so busy with our stuff and our blessings and our stuff and our blessings. And we think it revolves around us. When God says, since Genesis 12, I've been doing this. Genesis 1 through 11 is really just the introduction of the Bible. Genesis 12 with Abraham is where the mission of God takes off. And it goes all the way to Jude. And in Revelation, we're given a glimpse of what heaven looks like. Revelation 5, 9 says this, and they sang a new song. You, Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God. Oh, wow. What he began in Genesis 11 with scattering at the Tower of Babel, he, he confirms and brings around and regathers at the throne of God. As there are people from every tribe, language, people, and nation... One book, one story, one mission, one question. Are you on board? Or have you drowned out the mission of God? This affects how you live and how you give and how you raise your kids. It does. Unfortunately, Revelation 5.9 is not what the world looks like. Right now, the world looks like this map where it's the most least reached peoples on the planet are in this box known as the 1040 window. The 1040 window is 10 degrees up from the equator, 40 degrees up, and it stretches clear across North Africa and Asia. In this box is 65 countries. In this box, every major world religion started. And in this box, 86% of those currently born, who live and die in this box, 86% will never meet a Christian. 86% will live and die and never meet a Christian. And guess what? If you're a Christ follower, the 1040 window is not just someone else's problem. It's your problem. But it's also not just someone else's problem. It's your problem and privilege to play a part of watching the 1040 window come to know Christ. We get to play a part. It affects how we live and how we give and how we raise our kids. We have five kids. My wife wanted a sixth. I'm like, why? She's like, every basketball team needs a sub. I mean, how can you argue with that? It's true. You have to have a sub. And so we decided to have a sixth child. We decided our sixth one we would adopt from China. And so uh, last year, we, just, uh, we, we brought him home in August and... Uh, before we went to China, we decided, you know, hey, before we bring our son, Noble, home from China, um, 
it's going to get crazy. So let's take a family vacation. We needed to just take a family vacation of me and my wife and our five kids before we go to China. And so we thought, you know, where does a homeschool Christ-following family vacation? And we all voted the ark. They found it. It's in Kentucky. Um, and my kids were pumped. I'm like, this is going to be, they, I'm like, they found the ark. You're kidding me. No, this is huge. Just this archaeological incredible find um, just outside of like uh, Cincinnati. It's crazy how that was where it was the whole time. They were looking for it like in, in the Middle East. They missed it. And so we go and our kids, our hearts beating. I mean, just validating scripture, right? I mean, when you see something like that, you're like, wow, it did happen. And uh, man, I was way off on what I thought the ark was. I mean, it has an elevator. Um, it has a gift shop. I'm like, why would they sell gifts if there was only eight on board? And my kids are asking these questions and they're hard questions, which it's, it's a hard question. And uh, there was a coffee shop. I was like, wow, um, it was just really cool. And so my kids were like, wow, that's awesome. We stayed at a hotel by the ark. And um, that morning I went downstairs and uh, had coffee just by myself to get away. My wife was upstairs with the five kids. And um, I, I, I don't laugh at you. I just want you to know that, okay? I, think that, I don't think that was funny. And um, uh, so I go downstairs and, um, uh, you know, when you adopt or you know somebody who's adopted, you, you just talk about it for, you just, for 15 months, you talk about it. Like, no matter who you're talking to, you're like, we're adopting. Really? Well, since you want to talk about it, I'll talk about it. And um, I go downstairs, and um, uh, <laughs> the, the waitress is pouring me coffee. And, um, you know, I, she's like, how are you guys doing? What are you doing here? And I was like, well, we're seeing the, the you know, archaeological find. And um, uh, uh, I said, we leave here and go to China. And she's like, why do you go to China? I said, oh, we're adopting. And she's like, no way. And... Uh, As she's pouring me coffee, she asked me a question that I didn't know how to answer. As she was pouring me coffee, she asked me a question that shocked me. I didn't know what to say when she asked me. I was so confused. As she was pouring my coffee, she asked me this question. Does he know you're coming for him? I said, excuse me, ma'am? She said, does he know you're coming for him? I said, ma'am, he has no idea. He has no idea I've spent $34,000. He has no idea I've spent 15 months doing tax forms, background checks, criminal records. He has no idea that he has a college fund in his name. He has no idea that he has five siblings desperately ready to love him. He has no idea that in 21 days he will be stamped a new citizen of this magnificent country and afforded every right and privilege this country allows. He has no idea he has a father. But I'm coming for him. I'm coming for him. We talk of the second coming of Christ when half the world has never heard of the first. Don't miss the privilege of participating in the mission of God. And so, Father, that's our prayer this morning is that we would see your mission, your mandate, and that we would see it's a privilege to participate, that you have blessed us 
not for us, but to see that Revelation 5-9 come to fruition. We ask this in your name. Amen.